Hello, listeners. I want to share an amazing resource with you. It's called Hello Divorce. Founded by a lawyer and certified family law specialist, Hello Divorce can help you no matter where you are in your divorce process. So whether you're just getting started or if you're near the end but have stalled out and need help to get over the finish line, Hello Divorce can help. They provide full-service divorce support, and they can handle divorces of all kinds, all net worths, and with or without children. It's completely online, convenient, and they offer you support all the way through. Their clients get divorced in one-third the time and at one-tenth the typical cost. So go to hellodivorce.com backslash beyond and receive $100 off the cost of their services. And I want you to know, Erin Levine, who's my friend and the CEO and founder of Hello Divorce, was a guest on episode 197 entitled, Get the FYI on DIY Divorce. So be sure to go check it out. We'll link in the show notes. Coming up on today's episode of the Divorce and Beyond podcast. The agreement, the divorce agreement signed and you're moving your own way that you're comfortable with what's happening with your budget moving forward. And sometimes it's not going to be the $2 million house that you were in before. It might be a $600,000 condo or, you know, what, wherever you are in the country, there has to be some flexibility uh, in where you're going to be living. That's hard for the person that's moving out to think, I shouldn't have to like make any sacrifices here, right? But that's just the reality when you have just $1 coming in and now two housing payments to handle. Hello, and welcome to the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host. As a top divorce attorney and family law mediator for 30 years, I know what you need to know to get through your divorce, and most importantly, how to move beyond it to thrive and transition to your new future. My experts and I are here to give you the insider view into the process, so listen in for the wisdom and expert information you need on your journey through divorce and beyond. Hello and welcome to today's podcast. I'm Susan Guthrie, your host, and today, folks, we are going to dive into the wild world of mortgages. Yes, I know, you're thinking wild world and mortgage. How does that add up? Well, let me tell you, mortgages can be one of the most important factors in your divorce, and knowing about that as early as possible is critical. So I've brought in one of my friends from California, and he's the perfect person to give you a good background and some top tips on what you need to know about mortgages as you go into your divorce. So I'd like to welcome my friend, Zach Taylor. Zach has been in the world of mortgage lending for more than 30 years, and he has a focus on divorce-related lending. So, Zach, thanks so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It's a beautiful day out here in California, and you told me that it's windy as usual in Chicago, right? Yeah, there's no surprise to any of my listeners uh, about the weather in Chicago, and they probably hear more about it than they'd like to, but I, I, I can't help myself. It's ever-changing here, whereas in beautiful Southern California, uh, you don't have much variation in your days, which I actually loved when I lived there. But 
Let's dive in on this mortgage topic. And I'm, I truly appreciate you and I have had a little bit of uh, back and forth and some technical issues trying to get this episode taped, but I'm so glad we persevered because this is a topic that many people don't realize the importance of jumping on this quickly and just don't even really understand how mortgages differ from when you're a married couple seeking a, a mortgage and when you're going through divorce and, and dealing with mortgages might be relevant. So let's start there if you don't mind, and maybe you can just point out a few ways that mortgage lending is different when facing divorce. Yep, and that's a question they get all the time and it, it's a big one and it's super important and it's, a, and it's something that people don't really realize. They just figure that it, I did a refinance last year when rates were low. I like I bought a house. It was no problem, right? I know what's needed. Um, bottom line is the uh, the guidelines and the paperwork that's required for getting a mortgage when you're going through a divorce or post divorce, and that means that if you're trying to buy out your spouse, or they're trying to buy you out, or you're selling and trying to buy a house either in the middle of the divorce or after, and the reasons are is that the guidelines are really tricky. They're always changing. And the paperwork is way different um, than in, when you're doing a mortgage, when you're not going through a divorce. So that brings up the first point is that it's really important to talk to a lender that focuses on divorce lending, specifically divorce lending, because of that. Um, it can be a huge mistake if you just call your credit union and bank and, and go from there. Well, and there's you, you mentioned one thing in there, and we'll sort of break this down. How is the paperwork different? Because most of the people who are listening, you know, it's a very common thing that people have been through the lending experience, the mortgage lending experience as a married couple. In fact, the, we know the, the marital home is very often the biggest asset in a marriage as well as very often the biggest debt. So they've probably been through the process of getting a mortgage as a married couple. How does the paperwork you said differ when you're when you're applying for lending going into a divorce or after a divorce? Okay, so I'm going to just go over one paperwork requirement that is common for when you're trying to get the lowest possible interest rate. Um, and so, if you are the person that's receiving the support, whether it be spousal support or child support, and you need that uh, income to qualify for a mortgage, right? There are a couple of things that you need to make a note of that are super important. Number one is that that income has to continue for at least three years um, from the time that the uh, loan is going to be consummated. People forget about that. So if you're if you have twins that are 16 and you know you're qualifying for a loan, if you're working with a regular lender that doesn't understand all this, um, and that's three thousand dollars a month in income, that's a big number. That yeah, you're going to get it, but it's not going to be usable um, for qualifying. Number two is that the income that you're getting, you have to show, obviously, in the marital settlement agreement, and I know in other states, they call it a divorce decree and whatever, but just the divorce settlement paperwork. Once it's signed, you have to show that you're supposed to get the support, right, obviously, and you also have to demonstrate that you're receiving it. Um, and you have to show that you've been receiving it for six months, steadily, consistently, from your spouse, same amount in your own individual bank account. Right. So I see people all the time. They're just, you know, the, the husband's been managing the finances, which is more common than the other way, usually. 
the mother or the wife that's receiving the support there, he gets the Chase checkbook. She gets the U.S. bank checkbook like during the divorce. And he's just transferring money from one joint account to the other. Right. That's not right. income for her. That's just moving money around. So it has to come. It can come from a joint account if you haven't separated accounts, but it has to go from one account to the other. So there's a lot of, you know, sort of what I'm hearing is um, backup data to show this income stream. And I think for listeners, this will be the first thing for them to realize is that when you applied for a mortgage as a married couple, the banks and the lenders were looking at your income as sort of in total, the two of you together. Just like that. Right? Yes, I see. Like, I see you're Not making like the joint right. hands. Exactly. And now as going into your world post-divorce, your ex-spouses or soon-to-be ex-spouses income, if you're the one, you know, applying for the loan, their income doesn't apply toward this anymore. It's not taken into consideration if you're applying for the loan. And so it's your income. So whatever you might be earning, if you're earning, and then you're talking about the support you might also be receiving, but it's not just the fact that you're supposed to receive it. You have to prove how long you're supposed to receive it and that you've actually, what I heard you say is actually received it consistently for six months. Right. So a couple of things you don't want to do is I just talked to somebody yesterday and she's like, oh, I'm getting it. Oh, but he missed a couple months. So he paid three months in a row last month, right? So from an underwriter's point of view, is that steady, consistent income? No, that means that it's like being, you're, you're, it's like having sporadic employment. You're not getting the income regularly. So it wouldn't be used. You need to wait until you have a six month set. The other thing that I see people do is when you have kids, right? You owe each other money for stuff, right? Like, hey, I paid the uh, recreational soccer league fee and it was like 500 bucks and you owe me 250 for it. So I'll see support coming in. It's supposed to be three grand a month. And it's $27.50 one month. It's $26.50. It's never $3,000 like it's supposed to be. So don't do that. Take all the money and explain to your spouse. I'll Venmo you back, whatever the difference is. Make it as easy as possible for your lender to see that six months steady coming in. That That's a really important point that you just made because people do that all the time. They offset other expenses against support. And as you just said, the support amount isn't in full. That's a bad idea. Let me just say that for listeners. That's a bad idea all the way around. Because it, if the question ever comes up, if someone's current on their support and they've been paying less because you've been doing this offset thing, that's trouble for everyone. And the accounting nightmare or the bookkeeping nightmare has cost clients more than the amount of money we were arguing over more times than I care to count. So right, right. please don't do that. In fact, I have an episode uh, with the founder of Decomply talking about that whole um, scenario. I'll link to it in the show and notes. I'll tell folks. you when, when that error happens the most frequently, um, which I know you're going to ask me. So I'm just going to answer a question that I know is already coming. And that is <laughs> that they these errors are happening because they didn't talk to a lender early enough in the process that knows divorce lending, Right. They waited until the third mediation or they're already in litigation. They're going back and forth. I mean, I've talked to people that they're six months into it and they haven't gotten this piece figured out yet. A mother spouse that hadn't been the one controlling the finances, right? Um, the, the husband had been doing it all and paying all the bills. Um, so 
she did the right thing. She called me as they were just getting into their first mediation. They were referred to me by their mediator. And part of their home, her homework was, hey, if you want to buy out the house, you know, buy out your husband, got to talk to a lender, right? So she did the right thing and she did her homework. And so I gave her the steps. I said, hey, in order to get this done, number one, do you have your own bank account? No. I go, go open up your own bank account, right? So she did that. Get the support coming in. They had a temporary order, right? because it wasn't final yet. I said, just make sure that that money is coming. Boom, 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 right? And I said, on month five, we'll have five months. We can get the application in, get it approved. And then when month six comes along, close the loan, right? So boom, five months later, she called me, um, you know, while rates were still two and a half or whatever, right? And then, you know, if she had waited for the whole thing, Right. It would have cost her like 2% in interest rate if she had not talked to a lender in advance. So it was just, she listened to the advice. Um, and it might not just be for me, but anybody that is super experienced in divorce lending would hopefully give that same advice. Um, and then she was able to meet her needs and what she needed to have done as fast as possible, not having to wait 12 months or 18 months or whatever. So. You know, as a mediator, as a divorce attorney, this is an issue that I really want to emphasize. For everyone listening, do not wait until the middle of your process or as some many people do till the divorce is finalized to meet with a mortgage lender like Zach, who has experience with lending in divorce situations, because you give yourself more options as you negotiate your divorce if you understand what your borrowing power is and what options are available to you and what it's going to look like for you if you do refinance. Because Zach, you just raised a really important issue. The lady that you were just talking about managed to take advantage of lending rates while they were still low, even though they were on their way up, that's because she had set herself up for success. And she had come to you at the very beginning. She also, I will point out, during her mediation process, knew what she was going to be able to do and to afford. And I think that's something that people don't really understand and think, well, I'll, I'll get to that if my mediator or my lawyer tells me to get that information. Anyone can call you up and ask you for help it's, with this, it's right? It's never too early. You do not need to wait for your attorney or your mediator who this mediator was really good and said, and they, she gave out homework, right? Between session one and two, both of you guys, here's what I need, right? Whatever it was. And that was one of the items because I had another true life, you know, story of someone that did not call lender right away and they had gone past mediation. They were like six months into litigating and who knows what fees they were you know, lawyer's fees that they were paying here and um, just a, a huge error. They were negotiating over who's going to buy each other out. And of course, you know, what the trade out is going to be, what the price is going to be, how much it's going to be. And after I had a, the opportunity to talk to both of them, it was very evident that uh, it wasn't going to work out for either of them. You know, the, the, the wife could not, could not qualify. Um, and by the way, we always talk about the post-divorce budget. Even if she could qualify, the payment was going to be way too high as she's working with her certified divorce and financial analyst to work at all. So it's qualifying is important, but also guys, you got to look at your post-divorce budget because it's not the same as when you're married. And then I talked to the husband and he could have, he could qualify to buy her out, but we're going through the math and I'm like, well, your, your support is, 
$7,200 or whatever it is, right? I said, is that really a comfortable payment for you? So the bottom line is they ended up selling the home and they could have just done that like six months ago and saved thousands of dollars in fees, right? So they ended up just selling, moving their own direction. And, you know, I think she rented it for a while. He bought a house, right? But they could have just done it six months before and saved tons of money. 15 minutes on the phone, no credit report, no application. An experienced lender should be able to give you a pretty accurate picture without having you apply and do that mess, right? Just a quick phone call to see what's going on and do kind of a uh, analysis. So that's interesting to me, Zach. So what you're saying is, you know, we have, I'll call them Bill and Bob, and they're getting divorced. And Bill has been the breadwinner. Bob has been the stay-at-home dad. And Bob wants to find out what would be needed if Bob wants to keep the house. Can Bob call you before they've filed for divorce, met with a divorce attorney, started divorce mediation? Can he just give you a call and in 15 minutes get some information? Absolutely. Um, The more accurate, you know, it's a place to start, right? That's what I tell people right. when they call me. And typically it will be after they've at least talked to a mediator or uh, there's a, a document, there's a, a process, a form, a program called the Dissimaster. So it's very helpful. The Dissimaster, which you'll explain to people what it is, spits out numbers on what potentially the support would be. So if I can get at least an idea of you know what that is, just, you know, what, right. you know, what are you guys ballparking as the value of your house that you're going to use for the splitting of the assets? Was there any separate property that was used to buy the house? Right. Cause we have to factor that in. If you used a gift or inheritance or your own money to buy the house, that's going to factor into, that's going to lower the amount of the buyout for you. And so just those kind of basics, what your debt, your credits are, um, job. And then, you know, that's enough for me to be able to do a couple little worksheets to say, you know, here, here, here's a place to start. It's enough for somebody to say, holy moly, you know, I can't do it. Or, hey, this looks like it's workable. So that when they go to the second session of the mediation or they go back to their attorney to make a proposal to their spouse um, and their other attorney, they've got something to work with. Hey, listeners, I want to take a minute to share some exciting news with you. You all know my wonderful friend, Bella Gandhi, America's and Divorce and Beyond's favorite dating expert. You've seen her all the time on Good Morning America, Today Show, and all the morning talk shows. Well, two things I want to make sure that you know about. One, go check out her website, the Smart Dating Academy website. She has tons of resources, programs, and coaching all there to help you find, as Bella says, the lid to your pot. And you may not know it, but she has her own fabulous podcast with great guests and lots of wonderful insights and tips from Bella herself. So go to smartdatingacademy.com to find both all of those resources and the podcast, or you can find the Smart Dating Academy podcast on all major podcast outlets. Stay tuned for more from Zach Taylor, divorce mortgage expert, and learn all the facts that you need to know when you are facing divorce and have to deal with one or more mortgages. Trust me, it is much more complicated than you think. And in this case, knowledge truly is power. So listen on.
So you can just, you can run a couple credit reports free throughout the year just to make sure that they're being paid on time too. Because if all of a sudden the mortgage has lates on it and your spouse is supposed to be making those payments, then there needs to be a conversation. Um, you need to dial it in as far as during the process, who's paying the bills because you don't want to have them go delinquent because it's going to cost you. If you are finding this episode helpful, be sure to listen to all of the many divorce and money episodes that we have on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. We have experts like Heather Locust and Lily Vasiliff, two of the leading divorce financial professionals in the country. We've made it really easy for you to find these episodes. Just go to divorceandbeyondpod.com, click on the menu item for divorce topics, and then click on divorce and money. You'll find them all there. And now we return to today's show. At the very least, you find out what information you need to bring back to your mortgage broker to help find out what your options might be. And that's the other thing, right? I think you can, you know, also help people determine what type of loan might work best for them, um, what type of, you know, buyout might be possible, um, how money can be pulled out of a property, out of the equity. Are those those typically questions you can help with? Yeah. And, you know, sometimes the buyout just doesn't make sense. So the conversation needs to switch right away is, you know, where are you going to live and where are your kids going to live if it's not going to be in a marital home? So then the decision becomes, if you know you're going to have to sell or you're the one getting bought out, we have to look at rent versus own um, and yeah. do all those computations. And typically, um, it's really important for the spouse that is moving out to realize that now you're you're you have two households on the same income, right? I mean, the income's yeah. not going up, right? It, it, you got a dollar coming not in. Not usually. Before divorce, you got a dollar coming in after divorce, but now you got two housing payments and two households. So sometimes the bad news is, which I'm sometimes I'm the giver of the bad news, which is, hey, you know what? you're not going to be able to live in the same neighborhood or lifestyle that you had before. If you want to be in the same school district, you're going to have to look at maybe a townhome. Maybe it's going to be a lower price. You know, and again, not just qualifying Susan, because there's programs that allow us to be flexible and qualify, you know, people that, you know, debt ratios are high or whatever, but does it fit your budget? Right? You right. want to make sure that what they're doing so that when all the MSAs, the, the, the agreement, the divorce agreement signed and you're moving your own way, that you're comfortable with what's happening with your budget moving forward. And and it, sometimes it's not going to be the $2 million house that you were in before. It might be a $600,000 condo or, you know, what, wherever you are in the country, I'm talking. Cal- yeah, I was just going to say, I'm talking California <laughs> here, but you know, wherever Zach's, you are. You might- Zach's in Southern California where $2 million home, frankly, is is kind of normal, crazy as that might be. There has to be some flexibility in, uh, in where you're going to be living in in this day and age. And that's, that's hard. That's hard for Uh, the person that's moving out to think I shouldn't have to like make any sacrifices here. Right. But that's just the reality when you have just $1 coming in and now two housing payments to handle. I'm so glad you've brought this up because we've been talking about the mortgage lending experience during divorce and post-divorce from the perspective of the recipient of support. But what what effect does it have when you're applying for a mortgage 
post-divorce or during the divorce process, and you are the person obligated to make a support payment, does that have any effect on the lending process? For the person that is paying the support that you're talking about, right? Yep. Well, obviously, yep. uh, you know, once they file and it's public record that they're going through a divorce, at any time, an underwriter can do a quick search and see, right? Basically, the guideline is once you file whatever support you're paying, um, you know, it's going to be disclosed and, you're, and it's going to count against you when you go to do your thing. If you're going to buy it your spouse, or you're going to buy somebody else out. Plus, you got to supply bank, you know, a couple months bank statements and whatnot. And they're going to see, hey, what's this like, you know, $7,000 a month that's going out. So even if you don't disclose it's in your bank statement, it's better to be upfront, you know, and just say, hey, here's what the situation is. But I tell people you, you wait to file until we have a conversation because it can make a difference for the person that is paying the support if we can get something done before they file. Um, because then we don't have to count the support in for them. Um, and so that allows them to take cash out, give it to their spouse that's moving out as cash out. Um, so he goes off a loan and title and it, it will help them accomplish what they want to do if the numbers are bigger. And then we just have to make sure that whatever they're doing, because, you know, we're getting them qualified without that $7,000 a month payment. Um, and so I said, Hey, we can qualify you, but don't forget that, you know, once that, you're going to have that payment. So just make sure that whatever you're doing will fit your budget. What I think I'm hearing, and I think this is is really important as well for listeners to hear, is this can be something that if you have the right mortgage broker who can give you information, this is something where you can make agreements that benefit everybody, right. that can make the lending experience and opportunities for both sides of the fence, the best they can possibly be, right? Right, right, right. And let me let me repeat this because if you're filing, you're filing. So I, I would say that, you know, maybe in 20% of the discussions that I have, there might be a few more options if we could do it before they file, right? Whatever that is. Okay. Um, so yep. what I tell people, if you've already filed, don't be sitting there going, oh my gosh, I filed and, you know, I should have talked to a lender before I filed. It's just a couple cases a year that I talk to that um, there's really a benefit to doing something before you file. Okay. But I can see where at least the option's gone if you haven't spoken to an, a lender and you filed. Why would you cut right. off options? That's my thing. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's no, there's no time that's too early to speak to a mortgage broker if you're looking at a divorce situation. Never, never, never. I just, I talked to somebody last week, hadn't even talked to her husband about, you know, she's been thinking about it for a long time. And she's like, you know, but what am I going to, where am I going to live? Where are my kids going to live? If I go to my husband tonight and tell him I want a divorce, right? Like yeah. he's got all these things in her mind. And so she had a friend that went through divorce that I helped a couple of years ago. So she called me and, you know, I kind of just gave her the facts on, you know, here's what it would look like based off of what you're telling me. Right. Obviously it's super preliminary, but I'm of like, course. if, if you got this much support or if you weren't, if this was your job and, you know, I just kind of ran through the map with her, which, you know, after she hung up, she shot me an email just saying, you know, like, thank you because in some of our other divorce workshops that we do, information is your superpower. That's what Laura McGee out here in California, that's one of her sayings, she's a mediator in California, is that information is your superpower. So I gave her some information and she was feeling 
like she had some superpowers in order to go yeah. back to her husband, you know, either whether it was, Hey, I'm not ready to talk, talk to him about it or, you know, okay, you know, now I've got the information and we need to start the discussions. Well, and you've described a very common situation. My listeners are going to recognize this. When Erin Levine, the founder of Hello Divorce was on, she said that statistics say the average person who has asked for a, a divorce has been thinking about asking for it on average for four years. Yeah. And part of that is because of questions like you just raised. Where am I going to live? What is it going to look like? Where are the kids and I going to go? And that's something that a mortgage broker can give you information that will help you and power it. Your knowledge is power and education is empowerment. And uh, I also do want to give a a little shout out to Laura McGee because she (laughs) is a she's the friend who introduced us and she is a fantastic family mediator in Southern California. But if you are divorcing uh, you um, in San Diego or in California, give Laura a call. I'll put her information in the show notes. So Zach, uh, maybe, you know, what are a couple, let's close out maybe with a couple of, you know, mistakes you've seen people make and your tips to avoid those mistakes. Okay. I've got a big one and it, it doesn't, it doesn't even need you to have a house, right? Typically the house is the biggest asset and the most important. So anybody just listening to this that doesn't even own property, this is for you too. Cause we've been focusing on the house. So maybe people yeah. are moving like kind of tuned out is that you need to run your credit reports um, and share them with each other in the beginning, in the middle and in the end. Um, I love the website uh, www.annualcreditreport.com. So forget about the free creditreport.coms, this, that, whatever. Annualcreditreport.com is the only website that's authorized by the federal government. They forced the three agencies a number of years ago to supply free credit reports. So you go on there, you run your credit, your spouse runs a credit, share them openly because when you fill out your disclosures, you're not only disclosing assets, you're disclosing liabilities. So number one, right. it'll help you make sure that it's accurate. Number two, you'll see what individual accounts you have, what joint accounts you have. And then there's this weird one called authorized user. So Susan, if you and I are getting divorced (laughs) and we have a $50,000 chase card and you are an authorized user, you know, obviously I might not remember that. And as we're getting divorced, I might want to, if the chase card is not in your name, but you're an authorized user, I better take you off that as an authorized user, right? And so those are the things that you can resolve um, when you are doing it. And then you know what the debts are and then you run one at the end. Um, and then don't forget to take, if you're removed off of a credit card via the settlement agreement, right? The settlement agreement says that Susan, you and I are getting divorced. Susan, you're getting the chase card and you get the $50,000 balance and all the payments that go with it. That's been negotiated, right? But if I don't get taken off of that card, um, it's, you know, and you just don't make the payments, you know, that's, that's trouble. And do I have time for a one minute story? Yeah, let's go. Okay. So true story. A couple of years ago, lady called me for a refinance. Um, she'd gotten divorced about two years before and I run the credit report and I'm just like, not in front of her, but I'm just looking at it going, Oh my goodness. I mean, there were like collection accounts. There were late payments, late charges, um, charge offs, the lenders had even just stopped trying to collect. So I call her back and I go, you know, you said you had a perfect credit, but look at all this, you know, like it's impossible to do anything. 
And she was so upset. She's like, hey, the marital settlement agreement said that those three debts that went to charge off were my husband's, right? But they never, she never ran a credit, she never did the work to get off the credit and she never ran the credit report to double check. And so, yes, um, he's liable per the marital settlement agreement, but that doesn't matter to the creditors, right? If he doesn't make the payments, I can't believe that she didn't get any collection calls or whatever, because she is on the hook because she didn't get yeah. taken off the cards. So there's just because your marital settlement agreement says that Susan, you're responsible for the credit card, you're responsible for the mortgage, right? And so it doesn't count when you're qualifying, right? So those payments, because the marital settlement agreement is a legal agreement and it says those are your debts, right? So when you, so when I go to qualify, they won't count against me because I have a, right. the agreement. But if you don't make the payments, I am still liable for them. Do you understand the difference? I, I completely right. do. Right. And so I hope I've people seen out it. there understand the difference because she yeah. didn't. And so it really affected her. So, I mean, it, it took us about three or four months to get, you know, we had to backtrack and do all kinds of work. And so we ended up getting the refi done. And, but, you know, we never got the credit score up to where it should have been. So it probably ended, it cost her three months of a lot of hassle and work and maybe a quarter interest in rate on a $600,000 loan, which, you know, you do the math. I mean, that was a costly, right. costly error that could have been resolved by just running the free credit reports. By the way, when you go on there, don't click on the ads. It's all free unless you click on ads and want to get your credit scores and all that stuff. They charge for that. Okay. Well, and I, I think that was an important aspect that you just talked about as well. The, the correlation between your credit score and the rate you're going to qualify for on your loan, yeah. because many people don't understand that and why a clean credit report is so important. And you just mentioned a quarter point difference, but on a $600,000 loan, you're talking about big bucks on a monthly basis, right? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's $1,500 a year. It costs her an interest cost on a $600,000 loan. That's what a quarter point per year is. So exactly right. So it's 10 years, it's 15 a, grand just in 10 years. Yeah. Be, because your ex didn't pay the loans or the credit cards they were supposed to pay the way they were supposed but you to gotta pay them. be you Happens gotta take some time. accountability. She didn't follow up or do any of the work to get removed off the cards either. So yeah, he didn't pay, but she has to have some accountability there, right? Too. So right. It go it it does go both ways. And your credit, and for many people, you know, they don't understand how credit works and how it, you know, how it needs to basically be babied along and paid attention to at all times, but yep. especially when you're going through divorce, because I think one of the times where we see significant damage done to people's credit is when they go through a divorce yep. and lenders don't care. Yeah, They don't care that it was a hard time in your life. And so for three months, the mortgage didn't get paid on time yeah. or the credit cards weren't paid by your ex. Early in the divorce, if you run, at least if you, you can't run your husband's credit report, unless you, you know, it's not kosher you to like use his. So yeah, that's not, a, you, I'm sure you have all the information too, but <laughs> you know, in reality, 80% of the stuff on there is probably joint anyway, if you've been married for any number of years, right? Uh, if you run it early, you can, if you're, because who's paying the bills during the first divisive time of the divorce, right? Like that's like, mm -hmm. are you paying this? Or am I, I'm going to pay this. So you can just, you can run a couple credit reports free throughout the year 
just to make sure that they're being paid on time too. Because if all of a sudden the mortgage has lates on it and your spouse is supposed to be making those payments, then there needs to be a conversation. Um, you need to dial it in as far as during the process, who's paying the bills because you don't want to have them go delinquent because it's going to cost you. This is It's a key factor and just one of the many things that you need to be aware of because awareness is how you begin to make sure these, these mistakes that Zach is talking about don't happen to you. After 30 plus years in the business, I know we could go through more mistakes that people have made, but if people you know, want to find out more about how not to make mistakes and how they might be able to best approach refinancing or finance financing post-divorce, how can they reach out to you, Zach? I'm actually old school. Phone is fine, which is 619-813-7908. Um, or you can reach me at uh, ZachTaylorMortgages.com. Zach at ZachTaylorMortgages.com with an S, plural. That'll get to me as well. Um, but the conversation, what I tell people, because some people are like kind of nervous and they email me and, you know, what do we do? Like, and, you know, basically 10 minutes on the phone, we don't run credit reports. We don't get an application. And this is just truthful. I just tell people, do call me because we're just going to have a conversation. Let's find out what your situation is, what your goals are. And then I'll call you back and we'll run through what those potential options are. And I'll even shoot some worksheets out so they can visualize and see. We'll have a Zoom, um, you know, whatever. It's very rare, Susan, that I need to get an application or run a credit you know, maybe once a year on the divorce scenario up front because self-employed LLCs, five right. companies, you know, uh, you know, rental properties, you know, if it's complicated and they want to get solid uh, information on what's possible, then I might need to get an application or credit, but it really is rare. It really is rare. We can just do it. Over and the in those instances, they, you know, you do what you do if right. you want the information, but the key is the information is critical. Right. And the sooner you have it, the better your options and your choices about those options will be. And hey, he's not scary, folks. You just had a conversation <laughs> with him for half an hour. <laughs> Give Zach a call and he's going to help you out. I really appreciate your taking the time to talk about this with me and my listeners, Zach. And uh, I encourage everybody to reach out to him. I'll have all that in the show notes. Thank you so much, Zach. Thank you for joining me today on the Divorce and Beyond podcast. I hope you found some information and inspiration to help you on this journey. Please join me every Monday at 6 a.m. Eastern Standard Time for a new episode. And if you like the show, please take the time to subscribe and leave me a five-star review on iTunes. You can also find more information on the website at divorceandbeyondpod.com where you'll find links to the YouTube channel, transcripts of the episodes, and other bonus content. So I'll see you next week to help you move through your divorce and beyond.